Bruce Pascoe and Vicky Shakuraglu are authors of Loving Country, a guide to sacred Australia. Bruce, Vicky, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Vicky, to begin with you, why, why did you start? Why did you decide to write this book? We've often had conversations about the wealth of this country in all sorts of ways. Bruce and I have spoken about it and we've walked a lot on country together and when the publishers approached Bruce about this book, uh, we discussed what it could really look like and what it could really be. And it was a really exciting prospect to support people's understanding and another way to look at country and for local mobs to really have an opportunity to share their stories and be heard. Bruce, that must be a lot of work, as Vicky said, getting around to people on their country, all around the country, the broader country, and, and, and telling those stories. It's a big undertaking. Yes, well, the opportunity was for the communities to mm. tell their own stories the way they wanted to tell them. Mm. Uh, that was very important to us. Um, many of the communities either I or Vicky had been to before but quite a few of them were new and um, Vicky bore a lot of the brunt of that um, extra travel during COVID because uh, she was already over that side of the country where she could continue to travel but under some difficulties. Yes, it, it's a well an interesting time to be, be, be hitting the road as, as, as the country sort of locks down. Who, who's the audience for this? Who, who do you hope might read this? Everybody. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um, while it might be seen as a travel book, it really is a lot more than that. And we really hope that even people who are not actually going to be travelling physically might be interested in reading it because the stories take you to places in different ways. And this, I mean, this, Bruce, it sort of asks us to, to rethink how we encounter a new place, how, how we travel. Well, it's, it's sad that um, after 250 years, many Australians say they've never met an Aboriginal person. And the education, the history education of many Australians uh, doesn't include much information about Aboriginal Australia. Um, so this book, we hope, does give people an intro introduction to that um, and in the people's own words. In many cases, uh, we've compiled the interviews that have been had, um, but we were always conscious that it had to be the opinion of communities, particularly those communities who were conducting tourism, which is an expression of wanting to reach out to wider Australia to properly explain the history of the, of the country, but also the nature of the country. It's an interesting moment, isn't it, Vicky? As, as Bruce says, in, in settler Australia, there's a great ignorance of Aboriginal people and culture, but simultaneously an increasing thirst for that knowledge and for that contact. Hmm. I think we are living in exciting times for everybody. And, you know, we all have opportunities to learn and connect with people in all walks of life. And we just hope that this book really gives various ways that people can enter those conversations and ways of seeing and really loving each other and the country and being kind and gentle. 
What are the misconceptions, Vicky, do you think that, that white Australians take to country about, about that idea of, of country and the connection between people well, and country? So many. I think, you know, there's still somehow in Australia a real bravado about this dry and barren land that we can somehow, we're in opposition with it as opposed to really seeing it for what it is and for really nurturing its beauty and honouring it. And I think, you know, in our own backyards, there's always something to discover. There's always something to learn about and to find ways that it connects to something else well beyond our view. And I think these are really interesting things that we can all talk about with each other and part of our everyday, of our agriculture, part of our schooling, part of our resource use, mm. part of everything that we do. We need to really look at country much more kindly. Because, Bruce, this this is the beginning of, of entering into, I suspect, what for, for many white Australians is, is a great mystery, is, is an entirely new way of seeing the world. It's the beginning of a relationship between Aboriginal Australia and non-Aboriginal Australia because we, we haven't gone very far in the development of that relationship so far. But it's also a beginning of a relationship with country. Uh, Vicky put it very well uh, when she said that a lot of Australians feel like we're in opposition to this country mm. because it isn't like Kent. I, I don't know how colonists view the countries that they go to, but in Australia it was always seen to be oppositional. And most of our literature and our films are about the dry and fearful, uh, fearsome country uh, that is always a danger to you. Whereas uh, she's actually a very soft country and um, very generous. And I think if Australians could understand the generosity of her and um, enter the embrace um, more completely, then uh, we would be caring much more uh, for country. You know, in many ways, we live a life of delusion. Last November, uh, just before the fires, I was driving south from Brewarrina. I drove through 150 kilometres of dust. And uh, mm. that night on the news, the news readers were effectively throwing up their hands. The guests were deploring the nature of Australia's so-called drought. But it wasn't about drought. It was about ploughing for cotton. The dust rising above those tractors that I drove past you know, for half a day, were just disposing of their soil into the air. Some of that soil ended up in New Zealand. You know, if that was looked at scientifically or intellectually, it would be appalling. But all we seem to do is blame the country. And it's not the country, it's us. And uh, Vicky, as, as Bruce says, a, a gentle country and, and a country that was gentle and giving enough to sustain life for, for 60 or so thousand years. That, mm. That's not a harsh and hostile place. No, it isn't. And it's about how one adapts and learns and um, really appreciates what's present. And I think this is one of um, our great challenges, you know, as we go forward. We, the issues of soil loss and erosion and pollution and climate change, all of these things, they've been spoken about for long enough. And 
we really need to make rapid change and rather than continuing the mythology of agriculture in Australia as it currently stands, you know, we really need to make change. As I drove across this whole country, you know, the diversity of ecosystems and mm. geomorphology is simply spectacular. It is such a beautiful place. And it's not just in its spectacle that it's beautiful. It's in the tiny details. It's in the everydayness of it. It's in how one thing relates to another and how one bee might pollinate a particular flower. And so the more we understand, which means we need to look at the knowledge that has been cultivated for such a long time by Indigenous people, the more we will be able to care for ourselves at the same time in our own spirits. It requires, though, doesn't it, Bruce, on the part of settler Australians, uh, a different way of thinking. There's that, that one that we've talked about of perceiving the place as being somehow hostile. The other other shift I would have thought in, in understanding is to move away from seeing country as something that one might own and use as to, you know, the, the, to, to thinking of it as, as something that one might be a part of. Yeah, well, colonists um, have to think about country in a particular way. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that a time will come when Australia, Australians will stop thinking of themselves as colonists and start thinking of themselves as countrymen and countrywomen mm. and, and taking uh, the country to their hearts. Um, and that thing of ownership, um, I often talk about it and uh, quite often people assume I'm talking about communism versus um, capitalism, <laughs> but it's, it's not about that. It's about country and Aboriginal people believe that we belong to the earth, not the other way around. She doesn't belong to us and that our responsibility is to her from whom we were born, uh, Mother Earth. And uh, it's a completely different philosophical outlook. And uh, I think in the book, we try to ensure that local communities are given the opportunity to talk about their relationship with Mother Earth, not um, what can be stripped from Mother Earth. Uh, and that philosophical outlook, it should be apolitical. It should be about looking after our country. And you can talk about it in nationalistic terms if you want to. Um, but we are here um, and it is our responsibility. And we need to impress upon government and the population that we are in very difficult times in terms of looking after Australia. Um, the fish kills, the dust storms, uh, all of these things are because of human activity, our activity. We can't change the country, but we can change ourselves. We can change our outlook. Vicky, so much of, of the book Loving Country, it, it, it encourages us to, to take in the stories that, that give meaning, that contextualise the place that we are in. And, and that, in turn, lets us experience that, that place new with new meaning can you give us examples i mean you've been traveling for this project your personal experiences of doing that in, in places that maybe you hadn't been to before i suppose the way that i always try and move with countries very 
attentively. And I think that is a really important way to just be in order to be receptive to what is there. I guess it's through all our senses and it's not just a visual attention and it's not just hearing the sounds of the country, but it's also attending to how we sense what else is present in what has been there before and the movements of animals and the the feeling of a place. And I guess these things, because they're intangible, they are probably a bit tricky for people to easily grasp. And I think that that is one of those things that we go, well, it's a bit tricky, so maybe we won't worry about it or it's mm. not important. But I think that's where so much wealth resides for all of us. And because we are all human and because we all have the same sorts of capacities in different ways, I think it's one of the really thrilling things that we can all understand country in these ways. All that knowledge, all that sensing of what it means to be in a particular place, um, which is so very different to another place not that far away. Um, you know, we can all enter those spaces and notice and really learn from what is there. And then it's more and more layers come in the more we talk to the old people and um, their life experience and the experience of their old people. And I think that's one of the really important things that we need to all really pay attention to, that we can all connect to country. We all do have connection to country. And it's just how we choose to nurture it because we're all human and this is our mm. earth, you know, and it's and it, the same applies for everybody. So all those oldies who are um, talking to their young ones, they're nurturing the same things in those young people because it needs to be nurtured in everybody. And I guess, you know, for, for a young Indigenous Australian born into family on country, that, that knowledge has to be passed on and that knowledge... Yeah can be passed on to any young and curious mind. Absolutely. And young and old mind. Old curious as well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the book is also for um, Aboriginal people because it can't be assumed that all Aboriginal people are getting that information from their parents and grandparents. Mm. So when I'm writing these things, I'm also writing them for Aboriginal community, uh, for those kids uh, those Aboriginal kids who are searching for their culture and their identity, and I meet them a lot. Uh, so I always have them in the back of my mind as well. But one of the features of the book is that attention to the small things, and Vicky's eye catches those small things, the incredible power in little things uh, that are actually supporting the earth, that go unnoticed, but they're actually supporting us and I think for the, the reader, um, the photographs are going to take you uh, to those tiny, intimate things in our, in our landscape that we may not notice at first. And that's what Vicky's Eye does very well, is uh, shows you things that you've overlooked. Can we go to a few places? I've, I've got a little list here. Gulliger? Part of my family is Ewan. So uh, Gulliger is the, is the heart of Ewan law. And um, to climb it is really a, a special experience. And there are a number of Aboriginal groups conducting tours there. Um, we're near Tilba Tilba. Um, oh, a lot beautiful. of people know Tilba Tilba near Naruma. 
And Tilbertil was famous for its cheese factory and its art shops and uh, those things. But behind Tilbertilba, only just behind, you can walk to it, is Gulaga. And um, she is part of this immense story, and that's the story that we tell in this book. And um, she's a very, very powerful mountain. Her law is incredibly gentle. The story that she tells two-thirds of the way up that mountain is incredibly gentle. And, in fact, it is all about women. You know, men do get a mention, but they're a byline. Women are extolled on the mountain, and the story and power of Mother Earth is expressed through reference to women. I, I go up there a lot, and every time I see something different, and I'm more and more moved each time uh, that I'm there because of the power of this story and its, its generosity towards the planet and um, its reliance on the role of women. It really makes you stop and think about not just your own life, but the life of everybody around you and how, how we might better uh, work together. How did you begin to learn this story and, and, and what for, for visitors, for strangers to that place, what's, what's their path to that knowledge? There's a girdle of stones at the top, uh, two-thirds of the way up the mountain. In Ewan law, women can go to the very top of the mountain. Men are restricted um, to go no further than this belt of stones. But the, are they stones? Uh, they could be wind-eroded granite or they could, in fact, be the shark, the whale, the dugong, uh, the dolphin. Uh, they could be the mother and the child. Um, wh whatever it is, uh, they represent for you and people uh, the soul of the earth. So anyone can go there. Anyone can walk around those stones, and you might identify some of the stones I'm talking to you about. But to go with uh, someone from the area, a Ewan person conducting that walk will be an absolute revelation to you. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, what, what I often say to people who are contemplating doing it, I say, well, go up, walk around the stones, preferably with an Aboriginal guide, and then you tell me afterwards, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you think? And when people talk about it um, afterwards, they never talk about weapons. Now, what culture on earth um, has in its story of itself um, a story without weapons? It is incredibly rare. Uh, the galleries of um, all the whole world, wherever you go, there are spears, there are swords, there are machines of war. And this is the celebration of the human spirit, it seems, uh, because they dominate art galleries, they dominate churches. And yet here, this spiritual life does not include a weapon. And that is what moves me, because mm -hmm. what it says to me is that it is possible that war is not the natural condition of man. And I said man deliberately because it is most often men um, who take us to war. 
And, um, you know, to, th to think of the human species contemplating a philosophical uh, realm where war is not present is surely an admirable feat, mm. um, intellectual feat, and something that the world needs desperately. We'd be the better for it. Vicky, can you take us to Laura? Tell, tell us about making your way there and where, where you'd come from and, and what drew you to visit. So I um, had been in New South Wales working on the book and Bruce and I had been in conversation about which places to include and, you know, we had many long conversations about reasons why and the significance of a place and when you can go to any centimetre in Australia and talk about a story there. So um, in the conversation, we thought Laura would be just a quick trip up there. Jo Jonathan, Vicky's having a shot at me about my geography. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am, it's true. <laughs> so I went through Carnarvon, which is also in the book, and an incredible place. Mm -hmm. Also a, a site known for its art and the stories told on walls uh, in very, very different ways to the ones up in Laura. Um, and so as I was on my way to Laura, I stopped at a few different communities and spoke with different people who said, oh, you know, go and see so-and-so and go to here and go to there. And so I went via Cooktown and Woodrill Woodrill, talking to some of the oldies as I went, hearing stories about the Barrier Reef and um, Captain Cook and the old, old stories of some of those first encounters. Um, and then I finally made it to Laura, which is a small community with a really, really rich history, um, incredibly stunning country of escarpments and big open plains and um, stories of incredible intensity and humanity and spirit and all sorts of emotion um, talking about the animals and the plants of the place um, in so many of these overhangs. And uh, so I spent quite a bit of time with the rangers and the elders up there and hearing their stories and going out bush and walking and also looking at um, one of the times we were documenting signs of old life because of an objection they were trying to put together for yet another proposed mining lease. And so these are the everyday challenges that the rangers and the elders face um, in trying to look after country. And this is an ongoing issue mm -hmm. and it's a the same sort of repeated process there and all around. And I think these are one, this is one of the issues that we will really need to look at very carefully because obviously in today's lifestyle, we're not suddenly going to stop using resources and um, making everything from the earth. But we all need to really consider our role in it and how much we choose to do in one way or another. Um, and, you know, those old people... They just want the country to be cared for and loved and those old stories to be understood, which really talk about preservation and sustainable use and really talk about how 
we are part of the system. And um, when you enter one of the galleries at Laura, um, the, the feature um, uh, painting and engraving there is of uh, a family of fruit bats. And that's what it's about. It's about family. And it's incredibly touching. Um, and if you need no more information about um, Aboriginal philosophy, that, that, that painting would, um, would be sufficient. Here's a place, Bruce, that has, uh, look, it has, it has uh, strong associations for, for settler Australia. I wonder if we can go deeper than that. Uh, Bruce, take us to Birdsville. Oh, Jonathan, there's a lot I can't say about Birdsville because I travelled through there with local people and some of the stories can't be told yet. But when we were there, we were taken to a place where Don Rowlands erected um, a very, very moving but modest memorial to his grandmother and um, in a, a tiny oasis. And it's an incredibly beautiful thing. But while we were going there, we flew over old Aboriginal towns of domed houses. And in very recent times, some of those houses had been destroyed deliberately by the white landholders. And yet these towns are amongst the, some of the oldest in the world and yet in Australia, you know, we can blow up a, a cave of Aboriginal art and get away scot-free. Mm. Um, and we can bulldoze some uh, old Aboriginal houses and get away scot-free. And yet what we're doing is we're destroying one of the, the founts of human development, of where humans first invented society. Now, there are very old houses in Turkey. No one would approach them with a bulldozer. In fact, they're on the maps of military so that they're not accidentally bombed. But in Australia, you can bomb anything. And, you know, Birdsville was very moving uh, for me in that regard, because I think it's such um, an important indication of the depth of Aboriginal spirituality and life. And there are things there which I think in the, the next 18 months will be revealed as being some of the most important sites in the world. But the other thing that struck me, um, because we were um, working with the ABC on a, a film for Dark Emu, about Dark Emu, mm -hmm. um, we were had the luxury of flying in helicopters across that country. What struck me was how few cattle there were. Now, some of our wealthiest people own those or lease those lands. And I couldn't get over the fact that there were so few cattle, so few sheep, but those few cattle and sheep had destroyed the, uh, the environment there. Uh, so that there were few kangaroos and few emus as well because it wasn't supporting the life that it used to because of the denudation that cattle, donkeys, horses, sheep, camels are doing um, to that country. And I thought, you know, I, 
I um, had a beer with uh, Don Rollins in the Birdsville Hotel, which is an incredible institution, <laughs> I have to say. And um, I, I said, Don, I hardly saw any livestock. So your people had this land taken away from you for a handful of bullocks. And that's the reality, Australia. That's what we've done. You know, that's what our government, that's what our pastoralists have done for a handful of bullocks, which the Indonesians don't always accept from us. Uh, we have stolen land from Aboriginal people. We have destroyed Aboriginal sites. And this makes me, it literally makes me weep, but that's not the end of it because some of those old villages are still standing. Uh, there are yet more to find and we can do something. We can intervene. We can stop our mining giants from blowing up Aboriginal caves. We can't blame the mining executives uh, for their ignorance of Aboriginal culture because it wasn't taught to them in their schools. But now there is no excuse mm. because we know these things and, it, and we vote. We can change. We can change Australia. I guess the, the hope, Vicky, ultimately is, is to, to change the view of Australia in, in totality about the country in which it lives, a, a country which is, contains the beginning story of humanity. It's, an, it's such an extraordinary place. Mm. Mm. It is true. And, you know, Australia really is an extraordinary place. And um, our ecosystems are in terrible decline. And, you know, I really do feel for pastoralists in all sorts of ways, because there is a terrific public expectation that we will have beef and we will have sheep. Um, and uh, these are very complex conversations that we all need to have as a nation with each other, with the people that we don't talk to on a regular basis. And they're often difficult conversations which are often avoided. But I think these also present beautiful opportunities to learn about each other and to learn about what really resides here. And, you know, I just think about the oldies that I've spoken to and their desires for us all to really understand each other, no matter where you're from, what colour, whatever you are. Uh, you know, they don't see the world in those terms. They see it very much as we are human. And this is mm. a human story for all of us to better honour the earth. Following on from what Vicky was saying about beef and sheep, you know, farmers often say to me, you know, we've got to get rid of these kangaroos because they're competing with our cattle. Well, why are we not eating kangaroos um, if they're that much of a problem? And farmers will say, well, they jump. You know, they're tricky. You can't farm them. They jump. Well, you know, we send pe people to the moon on holiday, uh, but we can't devise a way of uh, harvesting kangaroos. It's, it's extraordinary, the myopia of Australia in regard to its procurement of of meat, if that's what we're going to do. And the fact that kangaroos roam didn't deter Aboriginal people from organised harvests of kangaroo meat. Jonathan, you were talking about ownership before. 
the kangaroo will move from this farm onto another farm onto another farm but surely if people can send all their money to Bahaman investment companies so they don't pay tax we have enough acumen in our human brains to organize a harvest over those three farms and everybody benefits from it we are an ingenious species problem not a physical problem don't blame the kangaroo because it can bounce and we all need to change our taste buds as well you know in so many conversations people say oh but i don't like the taste of kangaroo or i don't like that particular flavor but i think this is part of how we need to nurture ourselves and say what can we discover here Mm. um, and what can we learn and how exciting that we have these opportunities australia is an incredibly lucky country in so so many ways and we just need to um, make the most of it and i think you know turning to systems that are new such as finding ways to harvest kangaroos and to nurture their growth and see them in a different light is part of how we can really honor the oldest stories here.